Welcome, Michael. Thank you uh, for jumping on our podcast tonight um, with the Nisha Network. And uh, thank you again for coming on uh, to our episode two and speaking for us. It was a real pleasure for all of us to hear you speak. Before we get into it, I might just get you to quickly introduce yourself and I'll give you the floor. Awesome. Oh, kia ora tātou. Might as well introduce ourselves uh, properly. Uh, no tahiki o manaia, whirinaki, mututi, mutukaraka ahau. Uh, me koki aerini ahau. So I don't know which pepeha to use, but I'm generically from Te Tai Tokero, uh, Te Rarawa, Ngāti Hine, oh, Moirewa, got to put that one in there, usually say it first as we go through Kawa Kawa, and also from Mangaia in the Cook Islands, uh, and Itipuake Oki Tamaki Kiteuru, so born and raised out in West Auckland, so kia ora whanau. Awesome. Ah, awesome, thank you. I didn't actually know you were part cookie too, that's cool to know. <laughs> we learn things every day. So um, look, what I wanted to do is first of all, let's start off with a bit about your journey because I know it's been one and I'd like to hear a little bit, a bit about that backstory. So before we get into where your current business is, what was life like before you decided to start that first business of yours? So... The business we're talking around is Indigenous yes, yes. Growth. Yep, uh, that's yep. the business that we're working in now. So prior to that, I was working for the executive education team, short courses at the University of Auckland Business School. And we got to develop executives. Like They were paying $1,000 a day for two-day workshops, 20 in a room kind of thing, and they'll keep coming back. So it was cool because I got to learn what, you know, while we're worrying about food on the table, roof over their head, why are they spending this amount of money and coming back every day? And why is this considered their bread and butter? So prior to uh, starting this business, I was very fortunate. I was actually the marketing assistant. So I just got yeah. to be there. So whether I was making a cup of tea and coffee and all of this stuff. And the crazy thing is I never saw our people. I think over five years I was there. Maybe enough for one hand go on that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I got to bring some people on there. And our people didn't connect with the amazing tools that were in there. So there's just a lot of things. So prior to that, university, so Ngātaui no Māori, uh, I was at the University of Auckland Business, uh, University of Auckland, the Māori Students Association, before that high school, right? So yeah, very yeah. new, very new. I started yeah. the business when I was 25. Yeah, wow. And so what made you, what was that one day or, or, or that series of days that made you switch and go, you know what, I should be doing this myself to help my people? Mm. I, I saw a change in me as I was starting to learn those tools. And then I had the opportunity. So I had amazing bosses who said, Mike, you can be the middleman. You can start funneling our people in because we don't get to see Māori and Pacific in these programs. So I did. And then it like I just to reinforce, mm. I wasn't connecting, mm. even though for me, I had found out how to learn and, and I was connected to it and my life was starting to rapidly change. And I was supposed to, I was taking that remote control of my own destiny type of uh, conversation. I realized what, you yeah. know, it doesn't connect with our people, even though it's amazing. You saw the gap. So I knew from there that there's something that's missing and it was our values, right? Our indigenous values. So that's, I always knew that I was going to go into this field to serve our people. It was just mm-hmm. a matter of how do we do things based on our indigenous values and our indigenous principles when we talk about that professional development, executive mm-hmm. education. And then, yeah, so that, that's, that's all. It wasn't the trigger that got me off my yeah. butt to finally do it. I was working on it for about seven years yeah, before okay. I got off. 
but I knew that this is going to be a platform that we could serve our people. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. And, and when you did finally make that leap, because obviously there was a bit of time there before you did it, what were some of the fears that were going through when you first started? What were some of those things, you know? There must have been something, surely. Heaps. Heaps. Yeah. So, you know, are you good enough? The next youngest person is like mid-40s, 50, like still now. So yeah. I'm 31, and I'm still very much the youngest in this industry of executive education. Yeah. Can, you know, can you do it? So usually you're, you're an expert, and that's how they hire you to be their consultant because you're an expert. So you're thinking of all of these insecurities, and you know that your heart's in the right place. So many fears, and that's just before. Like, there's so many yeah. fears when you start. Right? Yeah. Once again, you get that trigger that you actually, okay, you better just start now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so along that journey, you talked about your old bosses were really great. Is there, were they your mentors or were there some other mentors along the way that, you know, gave you that support and encouragement or kick in the butt, whatever you needed? <laughs> well, I think before going into mentors, like in terms of the role of mentors, probably my greatest influence is my now wife. So we've been together since we were 15. Uh, oh, wow. And so... We're total opposites. She's a real go-getter. I'm used to like being quite there in the 80% and she'll give me the finish line. So yeah. we, we don't go to those like mana tāne or mana wahine because uh, we always believe that, you know, together you can serve tens yeah. of thousands of people. So the greatest influence even now uh, yeah. is, is, is my wife. So my mentor slash wife slash uh, person who goes, okay, let's we're going to do it, All right? And I do yeah. see a lot of our people that do know it's the same thing and they notice it's their wife or their husband. And then we, we, we glorify some of our amazing mentors, which I do have, like Jonathan Butler from First Foundation. Nobody's heard of First Foundation. A Pākehā man who no longer worries about food on the table. Uh, he opened my eyes up to not even caring about, like, it's a given that we put food on the table, roof over our head. What are you, now Now we've done that, what other dreams do you have? So having mm. a Pākehā mentor, you know, like he's, we, we're making our kids call him Koro when you come in because he had yeah. that influence. You know, so other, other amazing mentors uh, like Dan Walker, who's on this, you know, mentor slash friend, the only other yeah. brown face I really saw on these programs. And now we're uh, good, good whānau. So I don't know. It's, you put your heart out there and... Yeah. Uh, what I noticed, it's mainly Pākehā people that were really banking on me. So they saw a young, yeah. proud Māori that just wanted to dream. And for some reason, young Pākehā mentors, male, females, they, they would just attract and they go, well, I believe in you. I don't know what it is. And, and support. Yeah. So very lucky, very fortunate. And they didn't just support me. It was a combo deal. So they yeah. all know my wife and I and we're the same. I'm moving <laughs> forward. I'm just the mouthpiece, really. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, I didn't know that part of the story about you and your wife and, and, and her influence on you and the business, which is really great. And I think that is a really important piece to talk about. Um, it's something that I don't think a lot of pe enough people do talk about, but you know, I definitely know in my, with my relationship, my partner, that's a big part of our success with our business and things like that, that um, without each other's support, both of us wouldn't be where we are today. So that's awesome to hear. I'm really, yeah, it's a really cool, cool piece. Um, so when you when you got into that business and you started it and everything's running, did you have any big setbacks or was there any big challenges that you had to overcome? You know, was there a dip in the road as you went? 
I think my number one tip for anybody is, I think, go part-time and then do your business part-time. <laughs> uh, really just like no plan B option. Uh, I actually, the trigger that I was talking about is there was a director in our company and he was verbally abusive to the woman in, our, in my team. And, right, and, and I, I thought that there was like workplace bullying. I went up to the higher people and I had a conversation. There was no apologies being made. It wasn't done to me, but that gave me the, like, when I found out nothing was being made and he was a higher director, I, I put my notice in and I just went all, all or nothing. So my tip would be not to do that because yeah. we had no market. So nobody knows, like everyone, when it comes to indigenous principles, they think of cultural competency, tikanga, Maori workshops, all of those things. Nobody's, there hasn't been, oh, we've got governance agencies or stuff like that. Nobody's yeah. put executive education because it's mainly dominated by um, our Pākehā consultants, you know, our, yeah. our experts yeah. in that industry. It's a high-end offering. So we had no market. Uh, we had no, there's nobody. So we went to Australia and Canada and that. Nobody was in this field. Um, so that's, that's another thing which... Yeah. You know, if you've got something that people know of, that's a lot easier. You just need it, you know. Yeah. Um, so you had all of those things. So it took us two years just to get our first big client. So you want yeah. to talk about fears, a lot of fears, wanting to give up every day. Uh, yeah. Thinking, right, we, we moved out of our apartment in a little uninsulated one-bedroom uh, flat behind my wife's nan's house. Yeah. And she was barely taking $50 a week. Like, that's what we had to survive on. Um, you know, so all of these things. And then we just put a deadline, say, by three years, if we don't get our first client, kind of have to go and dig it back in because this passion's not enough. Yeah. And we got our first client by two and a half years. So Yeah, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, so fear's all right, Fana. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. What a story. So, so before we move on, I'm going to just stick with that. But like, how how was that? Like that two and a half years. I mean, I mean, tell me about the relationship with you and your partner. I mean, there must be some rock solid relationship there. How did that go, and how did that cope over that two and a half years? Yeah, and that's why it was it was based on the the strength of the relationship. So yeah. whatever money my wife was bringing in, that's what we'd be doing to pay the bills or do anything like that. Uh, but it is, and that's why I think when we watched that McDonald's story and we saw the owner of McDonald's and then he ended up leaving his wife after they became more successful, you know, and, and I was like, why do people look up to people like this? Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I, I was providing for the family when providing for my wife when she decided to stay at uni and change her degree for another three years. And then yeah. it was kind of the same, right? Yeah. Uh, but definitely. And, and you have to keep yourself accountable. And we yeah. had her nan right in the front. So it's easy to go over there and make sure she's all right. And that's a whole day gone. Uh, yeah. Nobody's going to growl you. Nobody's going to motivate you. So in terms of the relationship, all we kept doing is actually we, our relationship was formed out of hardship. Right. We want yeah. to leave the toxic behaviors in. So when we were when we were categorizing the hardship that we were going through, and we we're thinking when we were 15 and we left our toxic environments, uh, you know, and it was just us two and all of these hardships that we've had, I think I don't think that 
I think this only got just got into the top five. So yeah. that kind of really helped in terms of resilience. We're like, oh, well, it doesn't even make our top five of hardships that we've had. So we might as well just carry on. And I think yeah. the thing was my wife, she didn't understand anything about the business. Yeah. She, doesn't, she didn't support the business. She just supported me. And she yeah. goes, okay, well, you supported me three years of the degree, three years from November 1st, 2013. If we don't have enough, then go back and get a job because I had an awesome job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so good. I love hearing those sorts of stories, you know. And as I said before, my partner and I, we're the same. Like if it wasn't for that relationship, we wouldn't be here where we are now. You know, we're the same starting out new businesses, gave up our amazing jobs that we had and our high-rise apartment in Melbourne and all that stuff to come back here and, you know, live we house it now we don't even have our own place but you know it's about building a building a sustainable business and, and doing it for the right reasons so i love to hear other people's story like that and i think that's important because there's probably a lot of people listening now who are right in that right in this in the muck of it you know two years in six months away don't give up like you're almost there like if you're doing all the right things and you stay true right you can get there yeah i love that that's so cool okay so now yeah you've got that business and you've had some success and like let's be real there's been a lot of success there you're doing some great things with what you do so tell me about these you've got these big companies now um that you work for and and oh well that work with you to help you deliver these programs um with our communities and our people that are in these businesses because they are a large employer of a lot of our people and and and, and in that space how are they dealing with um our people through this time of this transition through COVID, and what can they what and, and how are our people um coming out and recovering from this whole episode at the moment. Yeah, we, we notice that, yeah, that that's huge at the moment. If we go back in history of recessions, depressions, wars, anything that impacts economy, we realise that Indigenous people are part of the marginalised communities. And what we know is marginalised communities become exponentially more marginalized, I use the same word in one sentence, uh, <laughs> even more marginalized than others. Right? And even though it's not an attack specifically on indigenous people, uh, we do know that th those are the statistics that happen, especially when a majority of our people are represented in the frontline workforce. So a big thing that we're, going, we're, that we're looking at having the conversation is that with our people, we like to be the providers and I always ask this question, are you actually the provider? Because a lot of our so-called providers for our family live week to week, mm. paycheck to paycheck. And if we lost our job tomorrow, which we're seeing a lot of our people, we recover at a slower rate, right? And the hardship happens a lot faster. And then people start doubting their ability to be a provider. There's been no buffer that's put in place. The organizations are, are not helping them, right? So we're, in regards to that well-being, right, week to week. Uh, so we're, we're knowing that a lot of this is the downward spiral. So we know during rough times, I, won't, I wouldn't compare this as a war because this, mm -hmm. it's just, this is an environmental thing. Certain industries are closing. Certain industries are thriving. Okay, and we know that some people are going to still be able to survive and thrive, but then there's going to be some people as a result of what's happening is going to exponentially get more. So get into that downward spiral. 
So we're going, what is, how are we looking after our people? How are the organizations looking after the, our people? Are we cutting jobs or are we cutting people? Right? Mm. And it's two totally different things. Nobody is giving any organizations a rough time. We know. Like our, our hearts just sank this morning when we read um, Sky City has to get rid of another 700 people and they're one of our clients and they're amazing clients, right? really care for their people. You know, and they come to us and they go, well, how do we, what do we do to look after our people, even though we know that we're going to have to, mm. you know, that we know that we're going to have to leave, uh, you know, make sure that those people don't have jobs, right? So that's, that's this part, because, you know, it's not going to be a direct uh, attack or target to Indigenous people, but there are going to be Indigenous people. 95% of our people in these organizations are in frontline or junior supervisor roles. So we know frontline and junior supervisor roles are going to get cut. Mm -hmm. Are we cutting the roles or are we cutting the people as well in those roles? Because what are we doing when they go back to their family? When they now know that they're not the provider, they gave all that control to our organizations. How have we actually prepared them so they do actually become the provider? Right, So that's always the question that we're having with our people is that we get this false sense of security that we are the providers. And actually, it's not. We're not. We've given that financial security to our organization. If you live week to week, paycheck to paycheck, because as soon as you're fired, we're lost. Yeah. Okay. And then that turns into those statistics even more. Drinking, um, drugs, you know, like just sadness. Mm -hmm. Sadness, mm. sadness. So, yeah, that's that's one thing. I, I don't think it's a story that's told enough. Yeah, um, is around like us giving that over that power over to the organisation, and how can yeah. the organisation give them the power back? Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so, for a couple of questions, one: how does it? How does one of those organisations start to give power back? And and two: how do we educate our people? on how to maybe not, well, yeah, to not give away the power in the first place, to be in a position where they don't have to do that. Is that, is that I mean, that's the golden egg, isn't it? But, like, yeah, what are your thoughts? Well, little plug, but I won't be staying on it too long. Uh, we yeah. talk about it in regards to indigenizing my well-being, and yeah. that's kind of the, some of the offers that we've been giving out or we're going to be giving out in regards to this is how do we control our energy, our time, and our finances? Mm. And we don't talk about finances enough. And we're not a financial institution, but we, we're providers for our family. So in terms of our organization, what are we doing so they know they have control over their own energy? So if they lost their job, it's only the job that's affected, not everything else. So how do we get back up and how do we make sure we don't make ourselves worse? How do we utilize our time? So when we do have a job, how do we utilize our time, get more time? Uh, and, you know, how do we get more money? Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's just a conversation we've got to have. What would you do if you had more money, more energy, more time, right? <laughs> You'd be able to yeah. provide more for your family. So it's those conversations because I think yeah. a lot of it's always around skill development, trade development, when actually, why don't we do a lot of that stuff that we weren't taught at school as well. Yeah, that financial, that financial literacy, right? How do we as a community do more of that? 
instead of putting some of that back onto employers, which of course there is a role there, but as a community and in the Niger network, we've got another networks like ours. What can we do to help support that and, and try change those mindsets? Yeah, I think our, 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 our two tips that we would say in regards to that, one is around financial humility. Yeah. Uh, is that do we really live a humble life when we have our finances? You know, the number one thing that people do when they get a job is they celebrate by getting an HP on a car, <laughs> on a TV, and they justify yeah. all of that by saying, but I deserve this. And then now they've got yeah. themselves alone. Or, you know, so humility would say we wouldn't, why would we need those shiny things to, to celebrate? Yeah. Right? If we can't even, if we lost our job tomorrow, we wouldn't be able to provide. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's around their financial humility and how to put structures in place to do that. Uh, and then our, our second one is, you know, we always ask the question, what is the most important thing in this world? It is people, it is people, it is people. And the reason why our tupuna ask that question is because if people don't know it's important, like people, we start disrespecting people. And that's why they keep reinforcing it. The same goes with money. We grow up, school, at home, they constantly keep saying money's not important, right? Mm. And then what happens is we leave school and we get a whole pay and we've got all of the stuff that's not important. Why do you think we waste it and disrespect it? You know? And that's that's where our cultural values are not actually going over because actually we get money because we don't think it's important. We waste it. We waste it, you know? Mm. Um, and And that's why. So we need to actually realize... Uh, and I said this on the Brown uh, Butterbean uh, thing, is that money won't make us happy, yeah. but a lack of money will make us unhappy. Yeah. Right? yeah. And there is a, there is a, there is a place, uh, I've got to get the research on that, uh, in terms of a salary that you make, that if you make below, right, you're going to be unhappy. Yeah. So we need to be aiming to get at least above that. Yeah. And then in the research also shows, doesn't it, that there is a, a, a limit on the other end that anything over that, our happiness doesn't improve. And there is a, and I think in Australia, when I was there, I learned it was something around that 70K mark, and which isn't very high really in terms of averages, especially in Australia, which with, with their high average average incomes there. So yeah, it is an interesting thing. And I, I, it's good that you brought that up. I, I think for, it was one of the founding principles of the Niger Network when we came about is about talking about money, being open about it, having those frank discussions with people about money, about business, about finances and deals. And I think that it was it was definitely one of the driving forces behind what we did because for me especially, and seeing a lot of my family going through you know different financial hardships and people trying to come up their way, living paycheck to paycheck, there is a better way. There is a better way. And, and that's, like I said before, my partner and I, with what, when we came back to New Zealand, you know, we, we sold everything we didn't need. We had our suitcases, you know, and then we had all the money in the bank and we knew, okay, this is 18 months. We can live on this if we live humbly. If we don't go and get a nice, beautiful high-rise apartment in the city overlooking Winyard Quarter or something, and if we don't go buy a big flash car, we just get something to get us from A to B and we pay it in cash all the love front and those sorts of things. And I think that what, how you talked about being humble with our finances, and I think that's such an important one, right? Like, and it's, it's something that should be taught earlier. Like it should be something in the schools. It should be from, you know, five years old, like as soon as you're at school, that's, you should start being understanding the importance of money. Not that money is not important because it absolutely is. (laughs) And everyone's finding out right about now, aren't they? 
Well, that's why our our goal, and even though we go into the organisations, we help organisations create a thriving environment. So we develop our Māori and Pacific into leadership roles. And beca- why? Because those are higher paid roles, literally yeah. more income and in for the farmer. Yeah. Now, what we do with that, that takes a whole lot of training in there. Mm. But what we notice is that that unhappiness of being in those frontline uh those roles where you have to drink on a Friday because you've had a rough week, mm-hmm. uh, which ends up going for a Saturday, you know, all of those things yeah. is, is, is the reason why, you know. So mm-hmm. if they become more competent, if they become more capable and all of that as a result, uh, then awesome, awesome. But actually it's about knowing that you're worth more, right, and valuing mm-hmm. yourself for that worth. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I really like that. Um, so... Okay, so now that we're here, this is where the world is, and you know, it's going to be a long road ahead of us, I think. Um, for you, uh, how do you see your company moving forward with this? One, two, is, is it your challenge that you have to overcome? And two, what, is there going to be changes to the way that you will coach and teach to make sure that you're instilling some of these ideas moving forward? Or is there any changes there? How do you move forward? Yeah, well, definitely, like we said, the the... Online borders, even though they've been saturated, are still not closed. Okay, and that's kind of been, that's probably been the biggest improvement for us because in Māori, them kanohi ki te kanohi, face-to-face, bringing people into marae, bringing people into learning environments has been our X factor. Okay, so when your X factor gets taken away, uh, what do you do to still create that environment? So we have, uh, we, we've been able to... Um, go online. Uh, we've even done, like we, once again, this, this program that we're doing for our, our, our people, to, you know, indigenize my well-being. We simply pre-recorded the program, a five-module program, set up this website thing, and then we would be able to launch it like next week because we know that as people start going in, how do we make sure we, we do that? Which, you know, in our family and all the online people that were doing that stuff were all full on, so we couldn't just get them in and, you know, based on our budgets, we couldn't really afford for those people. Um, yeah. And they were taking orders from people who have bigger budgets at the time. So we, we did it ourselves and realizing that there's a system. So pre-recorded, uh, Zoom's been awesome, like all of these different elements, because actually it's the values and the principles. And then we just have our team that still creates that engagement. I think the most amazing part is that we've done our emotional well-being. We've done our emotional well-being program, two-day program with our Air New Zealand, Māori and Pacific leaders. Uh, and we just finished last week with our New Zealand Post, Te Hononga, our Māori leadership uh, leaders around that emotional well-being. And man, it was, from our point of view, it was more effective, more engaging online. And that starts giving us access to, you know, our goal is to conquer these statistics worldwide. So what's stopping us now, we were quite furious because we were, supposed to, we were, we were uh, looking at going over to Canada and starting to do a couple of modules there with the people. And then with COVID happening, that stopped. So we're furious. And then we realized now this is a platform that we can actually start serving more people. So it's all based yeah. on these connections, right, on how we can uh, serve our people and just like I said, the destination's still the same. Just yeah. the way there's a bit of a roadblock, Fanny. So we've just got to yeah. get, you know, we've got to we've got to go the alternate route. 
which is actually um, quite an awesome one if we utilize yeah. it properly. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. I love that. I love the fact that you've been able to, I guess, pivot or, you know, it's the word getting thrown around at the moment, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's great. And I think you're right. I think that gives you the ability to serve more people. And I guess at the end of the day, that's the thing, right? It's like, you, know, you don't, it's not, you're, you're like me, it's not all about, although we say money's important and it pays the bills, it's not about lining our pockets because we don't need that brand new car, but it's about getting the means to be able to serve more and, and, and finding these platforms. And, and imagine, I always, I, I've been thinking so many times over the six to seven weeks or whatever being locked down, like, what if this was 10 years ago? How bad would things have been? You know, you couldn't do this. <laughs> no, you know, we've been able to do it create an actual and produce a podcast and a video you know however far many kilometers we are apart you know and being able to do that being able to connect with everyone remotely and like yourself being able to create a whole program to educate and uplift the whole community is pretty amazing yeah so and yeah. that's what i mean it's actually and in, in some instances create created more relationships because we're so yeah. focused on our business uh, even with the niche and network, that's not something like we don't mind being those silent secret assassins that are working on their stuff, but because yeah. we're like, oh, well, we got a Wednesday night, and then you start connecting, and um, when you're a family person and you're only used to hanging out with family all the time and you're not too strong in networking, and then these things yeah. are just here, and we can yeah. use it, and it's made it not only bearable uh, in this area, but it's actually made us... You know, we, we're, we've been doing a simple thing, naming five people in our Facebook groups uh, and just to check in and go, hey, how's it going during lockdown? Like, oh, and yeah. now just on our Facebook, they go, oh, hey, how's it going? Da, da, da. Oh, what's up? Oh, I'm just checking in. I'm, my goal is to do five a day. And we've yeah, actually got heaps of people in our Facebook that normally we wouldn't have, you know, made yep. time. That's, oh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah, we... um. I've been doing something, well, not, not similar, but what I've been trying to do as well is connect with a lot of people through LinkedIn. Obviously, that's the platform, my platform of choice. And, and, I, and I just got this email today. I didn't even know my emails were doing this, but they track new connections and new collab collaborators. Like There's this thing called my analytics. I didn't even know I was doing it in the background. But I had connected with 63 new people this month in the last four weeks. And I was thinking, I couldn't do that in real life. I couldn't have done that if I had to meet these people that is a lot of people to have you know proper collaborations with proper cop um, zoom meetings one-on-ones all these sorts of things so i think you're right this uh we have been afforded an opportunity to really connect with a lot of people and that and break down some barriers that would otherwise have been in the way right yeah yeah very cool okay yeah sorry now you're gonna go no that's why um everybody's giving a lot of idle heart to our small to medium businesses because yeah. 97% of the businesses and, you know, and, and I keep, not that I roll my eyes because we're one of those businesses. We, we've lost multiple six figures just in these yeah. last few months um, and just enough to not fire anyone, all of that. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's the difference between us. Like we, we, we decided to give that secure life away ages ago. Right, like two and a half years. Like, what's what's four months? What's five months? And you're two and a half years making nothing. So, yeah. You know, with our small businesses, we're a lot more mentally tough. Well, general, genuine entrepreneurs, genuine small business owners, are a lot more mentally tough uh, 
you know, for these, because that's, we gave up security for lifestyle. We gave up security to follow our purpose and our passion, where mm. our target is actually to our people who have jobs, who have always wanted security. And that's why they go towards that way that, you know, so mm. I, I do appreciate a lot of the love for us who are 97% of the businesses. Mm. But we know what we're getting ourselves into. Right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the ones that are really that, that um, now we know the differences between those that have gone into business to get themselves a job or those that are actually in business to, to do things. Right. So yeah. my idle heart will, will, will go to the people that, this is just a total curveball. Like, yeah. uh, the, you know, they, they wouldn't be, they might not be thinking that the internet is a good platform. You know, they, they might not <laughs> yeah. have the mindset where all of us entrepreneurs are looking, we're looking, yeah. this is the best one. We can still charge. We've got Stripe on our website. <laughs> you know, all of these things. You know? so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always had idle heart to those ones that wanted security and, and security has been unveiled. Yeah. That's a very good point. I like the way you put that. And I guess that segue is really nice. So the last question I really had for you was, um, now so much of our communities have been disrupted and they've been, you know, they, they've lost jobs and they, they're not sure if they can provide anymore for their families and they're not sure where tomorrow's war might come from. How, I guess two things maybe. What, what advice do you have for those people in those situations right now feeling that? Because I know there's a couple of Indonesian network who have lost jobs and are trying to look for that. That next role or next path, and how do they provide? And then, two, as a community, is there anything we can do quickly, or apart from just giving a man a fish, is there anything we can teach really quickly, or is that is that asking too much? Is it too late? No. Well, I think number one for those who are in that position, um, it's all right to be set. So, don't like. I'm seeing a lot of people like, oh, no, I, I just have to recover now. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's actually a right to acknowledge your emotion that you're sad, that you're gutted, right? Own it and like be sad, be gutted. Uh, and then in that time, um, be gutted because of the job loss, but don't diminish your energy more. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, when people go through serious events in life, and if it's a negative event, they'll turn to the bottle. They'll, um, you know, they'll start arguing with their partner. They will smoke. They will do all of these things that diminish your energy. Like, you've already lost your job. Your energy should be diminished enough rather than you contributing to it. So try and maintain as much as you can. Now's the time to look after yourself, to make sure that you have more energy. Uh, usually in depressions and stuff like that, there are a lot of job losses uh, and there are some job creations. And the reality is that the job creations aren't equal to the job losses. Okay? Mm. So that's the sad fact. Mm. Also, the reality of the situation is those who, are, who have more energy to put themselves out there and to apply and to go through that, they're the ones who take opportunity of the jobs that are created. Mm. And the ones who are not are the ones that are getting into a downward spiral. Yeah. Okay, so we're not saying that there's as many jobs created as there are losses, historically mm -hmm. speaking. But what we are saying is that there's enough opportunity for those who do keep their energy high. Because while everybody else is going into a downward spiral, right, and that's the natural effect, if you look after your energy, your modi, uh, then you'd be able to, you know, apply. Uh, yeah. And, and that will go into the second point on what we can do 
uh, to to teach or to be able to do it, and we go through this with in our programs as well, is to apply as much as you can. Like put yourself out there. And I'd even be cheeky enough to apply for roles that are a little bit higher than your pay grade that you're currently getting anyway. Right? The worst yeah. you can get is a no. Okay? And when you get that no, this is the best time, the best type of training. Right? I could do a program with you that gives you all the productivity, capability, skills, whatever. Okay? And we do those. But actually, the best training is applying, getting that no, and finding out what you need to learn to get that role. Okay? And that's the best development plan uh, ever. So somebody comes in, I'm like, oh, I'm looking for a young marketer. They go, what do you need? Oh, I don't do those yet. You know, I need video editing. I need social media. I need um, design, PDF, all of that type of stuff. They don't know how to do that. But now you've got a development plan and there's so many courses online mm -hmm. that you mm -hmm. should be able to learn that within six weeks of intense learning, right? Mm -hmm. So all I'd say with our people is that we don't put our head in the ring. Like we're competitive, but we're not even in the race, right? Yeah. Put yourself in the race and go mm -hmm. for it. Apply, apply, apply. And we always say this to our people is if your yes was after 99 no's, wouldn't you try to get your no's faster? <laughs> you know? So don't wait. Like you got to get the nose a lot yeah. faster. Learn, get your own development plan. That's the best way because yeah. all this information online, like you got experts here, you got amazing people in these and network. All of them can help you, but we want to make sure we're helping you with what's relevant. Yes, right? there's no one you know one thing for, uh, fixes all here. Yeah, love that. I. I, I use a similar analogy with clients about sales to uh, with rejection. You know, you talk about 99 no's and get one yes, yeah, well, then get your no's faster. And my one is, well, what is a yes worth to you? Might be 10 grand. Well, it takes 20, or say, let's say nine no's to get that one yes, then how much is a no worth to you? Oh, well, I don't know. It's hard to get anything from them. Yeah, but if you get nine of them, you know your 10th one's a yes, that's 10 grand, so every no's worth a grand. As, as you add up, you'll get to your 10th grand, and then you get the yes. So how many no's do you want now? Oh, I want as many as I can get, because they're all worth $1,000. <laughs> yeah, I want 100 of them. Yeah, exactly. And with that, and that mindset shift, if you can shift that, right, to, yes, it's a percentage game. The more you're there, uh, the more likely you'll get that, that, that 1 in 100, or that 1 in 20, or that 1 in 60, whatever it is, so, yeah, I love that. That's a, that's a really good point. Well, look, Michael, I can't thank you enough. I mean, that's all my questions that I had for you, and I really got a lot out of it tonight, and I really appreciate you um, yeah, spending some of that or your Monday night with us, <laughs> 8 o'clock at night. Thank you for making that time for us. I really do appreciate it. I really appreciate that you came onto the Nisha Network and you've been a big supporter of our group since it started, and I look forward to um, yeah, seeing, you more, seeing you at the group a bit more, and hopefully... Uh, once we get back to level one or something like that, we can catch up in person and turn this digital relationship into a real one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.